Ben and I are talking today and next week about the kind of thorny issue of guidance and working out God's will for our lives. So how are you feeling about that, Ben? Well, to be honest, Kaz, I'm not really sure. Like, is this, is this God's plan for me? Like, did I be here? Yeah. Good question. How, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, God's in control. You know, everything's under control. He's sovereign. And I've just got to kick back, you know, go with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but is that really how it works? I mean, some people say, you know, just, just let go and let God. But surely God wants us to do something, right? He does. He expects us to, you know, make decisions. I mean, you had to say yes to being here today and... You did some preparation, right? Yeah, thankfully yeah. for you guys, we did do some preparation <laughs> yeah. and this talk didn't just write itself. Mm. So, yeah, on that point, you are right. Um, I guess we there's lots of really hard issues about this topic yeah, and, and you and I have been thrashing around on them in the last couple of weeks. How do we know what God wants us to do? Yeah, I guess um, maybe a, a prior issue to that is, well, if God is sovereign and everything's going to happen according to his plan and everything's under his control... How does he, why does he expect us to actually make decisions at all? Mm. Yeah, and does he actually have a specific plan for my life and for your life? Does, does he actually have something that he wants me to do? And if so, how do I, how do I know what it is? Um, I think for me, so often mm. my life feels like a series of random choices and random decisions. Um, and what if I make the wrong choice? Yeah, and actually, thinking about it, can you actually make a wrong decision? If God is sovereign, you know, is it possible to choose wrongly? Ben and I spent lots of time talking about whether we could make wrong choices, mm. and I'm pretty confident I've made some wrong choices in my life over the years, so yeah, I guess true, you are able true. to make them. And um, I guess for you guys, it's one of those times when you have to make really big mm. decisions about the future. What you're going to work in, what kind of relationships you're going to have, where you're going to live, how you're going to work, all those kind of questions. And if you're anything like me, then you want to make sure you get those decisions right. Hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, how about we spend some time then thinking about, thinking through this issue. How do we choose the best life under God? How do we live with responsible freedom uh, under Him? Uh, so how about, Kaz, I take us through some of the, what the Bible has to say on this issue. And then perhaps you then can jump up and uh, take a, you know, drill down into some of the details about what it looks like in life. I think that sounds like a great decision. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with that All right, plan. let's go with that. Uh, I think some of the issues we raise there uh, that come up when we think about this topic is uh, these two truths we seem to be in tension, but which, both of which the Bible teaches. Um, in many ways, I think we do, on this issue in life generally, need to swim between these two flags, like, like we do at the beach. Swimming between the flags of God's sovereignty on one hand and our human responsibility on the other. See, the Bible teaches both. Both that God as king rules over his creation completely, totally and comprehensively. Everything's under his rule. But at the same time, as judge, God holds his creatures God holds us accountable for our decisions, for our actions. God's will will be done. But each of us will need to answer for our decisions and our actions. So first let's consider that. Um, God's will will be done, his sovereignty. Uh, Human decisions cannot thwart 
God's sovereign will. Now we could examine this proposition in a in an abstract way, I think, you know, kind of pausing and reflecting philosophically on this while we stroke our beards, or lack of beards perhaps. And there are passages in the Bible that do wrestle with this truth in this way. But actually I think God teaches it in the concrete lives of his people as they relate to him. Uh, One good example is the story of Joseph in Genesis 45. Uh, There towards the beginning of the Bible story, Joseph learns this truth through the bitter struggles of life. He acquires the wisdom of this perspective after a life filled with pain and injustice. See, it's at the end of his story, after Joseph is sold by his brothers to slave traders who take him to Egypt, after Joseph, his fortunes there wax and kind of wane and wax again, after he's been thrown in prison first wrongly, and then after he's free from prison, by, uh, after he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, after Joseph becomes prince of Egypt, uh, overseeing Egypt's stockpiling of grain for the famine to come, well then Joseph's brothers come to Egypt and uh, struggling to find food, they bow before him and beg him to buy grain. Now Joseph reveals his identity as their brother and his brothers are terrified. Like surely now is the time when Joseph will get his revenge. But at that point, Joseph expresses his wise appreciation of God's sovereign power in accomplishing his will even through his brother's (coughs) evil actions. Uh, In verse 4 of Genesis 45, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there'll be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. He may be father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So yes, what Joseph's brothers did was evil. It was wicked, sinful and wrong. But Joseph sees, even in their wicked actions, he sees that God's sovereign hand was working to do good, to further his purposes, to preserve the lives of Abraham's descendants, to keep alive the family that he'd chosen to bless. Indeed, the family he'd chosen to bless the whole earth through. So if Joseph would declare in chapter 50, after his father's death, in chapter 50 verse 19, um, when his brothers are again terrified that now with their father dead, Joseph will finally get his revenge, Joseph assures them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives you intended to harm me but God intended it for good see what faith Joseph had to be able to trust God so much with his suffering to see that God was working in and through his brother's evil actions to have processed their cruelty to him before God, 
with such firm faith in God's greater purposes, they could truly let go. He could actually forgive, truly harbour no hard feelings. He could let go of any uh, sense of entitlement to punish his brothers for their wrongdoing. Even though now God's given him the power to do so. From the beginning of the Bible story, this truth is clear. God's um, will cannot be thwarted by human decisions. And actually this is clear right through the Bible story and perhaps especially crucially at its climax, the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, in Acts chapter 2, at the, that great Pentecost sermon that the Apostle Peter preached, uh, from verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, Peter proclaims, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter declares, Jesus was handed over to the Jews by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Because Jesus' death was in God's sovereign will. In fact, it was at the very centre of God's purposes. The... uh, The Jews' actions, though wicked, couldn't thwart God's will from happening. But indeed God used those actions to accomplish his will. And like in the Joseph story, it was to save many lives. And even on that day in Jerusalem, 3,000 turned back to God. But here, in this story, at the same time, as judge of all the earth, God holds humans responsible for their decisions. God holds these Jews, those Israelites that day, responsible for their murderous actions, the decision to put Jesus to death. So if we skip down to verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, Peter concludes there, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As they realised what they've done, executed God's Messiah, God's Saviour King, they're cut to the heart, convicted of their guilt, See, Peter's response shows that, yes, that guilt is very real. That God as judge truly holds them responsible and accountable for their actions. Peter says, repent. That's what they ought to do. Turn away from their stubborn disobedience. Turn away from rejecting Jesus as God's king. And be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They need forgiveness because they're really guilty. Because God holds them accountable for their actions. Their murderous decision to put Jesus to death. 
Now the fact that God was working out his sovereign will, even through their evil actions, doesn't excuse them. They're still guilty for putting God's Messiah to death. They still need God's forgiveness. And yes, praise God, that day 3,000 did repent and they did receive God's forgiveness. So there we are. The Bible teaches both truths, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Um, We need to affirm both these truths, even though they might seem like their intention. Uh, It's what J.I. Packer, um, in his book Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, calls an antimony. Uh, Now, an antimony is a pair of principles which stand side by side, seemingly irreconcilable, yet both undeniable. See, God is sovereign. God's will will be done. But at the same time, humans are responsible for our actions, our decisions, our choices, even while these decisions cannot thwart God's sovereign will. Now, interestingly, this means that no decision we can make, no choice we make, can take us outside of God's sovereign will. But what is God's sovereign will then? You know, what, what does God want? What is God's will for me? And, and does he have a specific plan for each of us? And if he does, how will we, how will we start to figure out what that plan is? Well, one thing the Bible is clear on is on the big picture of God's will. And that is that he's bringing everything, all things, under Christ, under the Lord Jesus Christ. All things under Christ. That's the ultimate purpose that God is working towards. Uh, We see this big picture of God's will in passages like Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 verses 8 to 10 where uh, Paul says, With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfilment, to bring all things, uh, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All things united under Christ. That's God's will. That's God's picture for all creation all things united under Christ's Lordship. See, one day, everything and everyone will bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging his reign and rule. People from every tribe, language, people and nation gathered around his throne, singing his praises, giving him the glory he deserves. Okay, all things under Christ, that's God's sovereign will. But what does that mean for us, his people? Well, for God's people, being under God's Son, Jesus Christ, means being like Jesus for his glory. As Paul so beautifully states in Romans chapter 8, from verse 28, Paul, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, from eternity past, that's been God's will for each of his people, that we be conformed to the image of his Son. And why? Well, so that God's Son, the Lord Jesus, might be the firstborn among many siblings, that he might be 
the first, the most glorious, most honoured, most praised among many siblings. It's so that Jesus Christ might be preeminent and that we his people might be under him, like him, conform to his image, to his glory. But what does this look like? What does it mean for us to be like Christ? Well, Paul's prayers give us an insight into the details of what it means for God's people to be like Jesus. And Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 is a, a good example where Paul says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Being like Christ involves our love flourishing in knowledge, being pure and blameless, ready for Christ's return, bearing that fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. Now there's more in this passage you may have noticed about discerning what's best. But you'll have to wait until next week for more on how we do that. But for now, let's just note that God's will for us, his people, is about Christ-like character. It's about a love that's ever-deepening, fueled by an ever-growing, increasingly enriched knowledge of God, knowledge of God's plans and purposes. A life where acts of righteousness flow out of attitudes, thoughts, desires and affections that are trained to thirst after what's pure and excellent and good. So that's the big picture of God's will. In all things under Christ and for his people that we be conformed to Christ who was after all the one who lived perfectly between the flags of God's sovereignty and his human responsibility. But what does all this have to do with guidance then? Uh, what does all this have to do with you know, decisions, the, the decisions that we make as we try and swim between the flags of God's sovereign will and our human responsibility? Well, I'll share a few general thoughts on the, what this means for our decisions and then Kaz is going to come up and um, drill down deeper into what it looks like in our lives. So first... I think it means that we make decisions then which align with the big picture of God's will to bring all things under Christ. And when we make decisions which you know, don't work against that purpose but indeed open up more possibilities for this to happen. Um, and secondly, I think it means we make decisions which help people to become more like Christ. If that's God's will for his people then we make decisions that line up with that decisions which help you or or other people grow and flourish uh, in being more and more like Christ. Uh, I think that's that's some ways in which the big picture of God's will shapes the decisions that we make um, each and every day as we swim between those flags of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Uh, Now Kaz is going to come up and help us drill down a bit into some of the details of that. Kaz? Yeah, I think we should. Okay, so God has this incredible plan for us and for his world to see everything brought under the headship of Christ. 
He is sovereign over all that happens in the world, but he also gives us human responsibility. Well, what does that mean for us as we make decisions? Well, we get to live in the midst of the antimony, Ben, living in the middle of two seemingly incompatible truths, but both are undeniable. The first, that our lives and our choices are absolutely fixed by God's sovereignty and also that the plans and choices you make in life are really yours and you are accountable for God for those decisions. Now, it's not 50-50. It's not that God is half in control and you are kind of in control of the other half. And it's not like when you're learning to drive, you know, and the driving instructor has his own brake and um, he kind of slams it down when you forget to. Um, God isn't like that. God doesn't just pick up when you stuff up or fill in for the gaps. God is completely in control and you are completely responsible for your choices. Our lives are absolutely free and absolutely determined. So how do you feel about that? Do you feel pressure? Do you feel scared? Do you feel paralysis? Do you feel the freedom? And there's quite a couple of ways that you can go wrong in this. The first thing you could do is overemphasize God's sovereignty. You embrace that God is sovereign and that he is in control and then you kind of forget or deny that you have any responsibility. It leads to a fatalism where you kind of see yourself as simply a puppet in the hands of God. If God wants me to be a brain surgeon, then he will get me into university. If God wants me to be married, then he will bring tall, dark and handsome to my front door. (laughs) Sounds fun. Um, But it actually leads to passivity, where you never actually make any choices, you never take responsibility for your life, you never do anything, but instead you're kind of washed along by the flow of God's sovereignty. At first it kind of sounds like a good idea, you know, kind of kick back. Let go and let God. But it's actually a really terrible place to live. And the incredible choices and freedoms that God gives you are just kind of left behind. And by overemphasising God's sovereignty, I think you'll sit on the lounge and one day you'll wake up and you'll feel pretty angry with yourself and probably even more importantly, you'll feel pretty angry with God for not bringing you the perfect life on a platter. The other way you can go wrong is by overemphasising your own responsibility, by totally embracing that you have choices and options and responsibility and you just get on with the job. Your future rests in your hands. You are master of your world and God just needs to sit back and watch in wonder as you make incredible choices. Your future is fixed entirely by your choices. Does it sound empowering? Well, I think again it does for a brief second until you realise that it brings incredible fear and pressure with it. You have to get your decisions right in order to have the perfect future. And if you make the wrong decisions, does that just stuff up your whole life? And you get paralysis because there's just too much riding on each and every decision. 
And I think the other thing is you don't have to live for very long to realise that the world can feel very chaotic. And even if you can make the right choices and decisions, there's so much in the world that is outside of your control. So instead of these two extremes, our job is to swim between the flags, which, as we all know, is the safest and best place to swim. We need to know that God is sovereign and that he has your future covered. And it's actually better than just covered. He promises that he will work for good in every single moment of your life circumstances and in the very midst of your choices. The biblical picture that we're presenting today might be intellectually difficult, but it's actually utterly practical because it gives you two incredible freeing truths. You are absolutely free and you are absolutely safe. You are free to make choices, but you can relax because God has, his, has your future safe in his hands. You don't have to just kick back and be passive and be washed along by the ups and downs of life. And you don't have to experience paralysis where every decision is make or break, the difference between a good life or a bad life. You are responsible and you are free, so you can relax. Relax and trust the God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Relax and trust yourself and your future into the hands of your loving Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father who knows every hair on your head, and in my case, even the original colour. <laughs> the loving Heavenly Father who knows us and who promises to work for good in our life. See, I think one of the whole problems that we have with the issue of guidance is that we think that God has a secret plan for each one of us. That he has a secret master plan but he holds it really close to his chest and your job is to try and guess what God's master plan is for you. And you kind of guess by hoping that God might give you a little glimpse into that plan, that he might give you a dream or a vision or that he might um, give you a gift of discernment or through closing doors and opening windows. But it's the wrong picture of God. Our God's not like that. He's not sneaky and he's not tight-fisted. He doesn't expect you to live your whole life jumping through hoops and trying to second-guess whether you made the right or the wrong decision. Instead, he's your loving Heavenly Father who always acts towards you in grace and mercy and love and who comes up with this crazy plan of entrusting your choices to you freely, safe in the knowledge that he is working and he is in control. He doesn't expect you to guess what's in his head. Instead, he gives you responsible freedom. He entrusts, you, he entrusts your cho choices to you and he wants you to do something not just to be passive or to sit around waiting endlessly for a sign or for something to happen, for that knock to come on the front door. And he doesn't want you to flip out and be a control freak. But instead he expects you to be a child of God, a child of his, a brother of the Lord Jesus who can make responsible choices in freedom. Well, and where do the parameters lie? Well, it just makes sense to be on with the program to get on with God's plan for the universe, this big plan to bring everything under the Lordship of Christ.
And if you are a Christian today, then you have that big picture shaped and carved out for you, a future that is sure and secure, a time that is coming when every knee shall bow and everything will be brought under the lordship of Jesus. So for us, our job is to live in light of that certain reality. So what do we do? Well, we work to make Jesus Lord of our lives. We seek righteousness. We reject evil. We seek to be people who are joyful and patient and gentle and kind and to be self-controlled. We seek to be people who live for others, who love others more than we love ourselves. And we seek to help others grow to be more and more like Jesus each day. You have great freedom, but we also have the incredible opportunity of working for God's purposes. And it will make very, a very significant difference to your life. It will shape the choice for jobs. It will shape who you marry or where you live or how you spend your money. But you are free and safe to make radical choices. You are free to be patient and kind and gentle in ways that serves your workplace rather than just stepping over people or profiting from, that, profiting from them as you seek to get ahead. You can um, seek to not have a gazillion dollar mortgage in Sydney that enslaves you and your spouse to work. For me, I made a decision not to have a Sydney mortgage. Uh, which freaks my parents out, no end, and pretty much every other single person I uh, I meet. And it also means I can't read half the Sydney Morning Herald because that's pretty much real estate. However, it allows me to make radical choices by by not having a mortgage. I can choose to not have a huge salary and spend all week here on campus working with the EU. I can be more generous with the money that I have And I can also use it to spend time with my family and with my friends. And I can do that freely, knowing that God will continue to provide for me and that my future is safe in his hands. My future is not safe because of a flat, but because God works and is sovereign. I'm free and I'm safe. And you are free and safe to make radical choices to give up your career to serve God's church in vocational ministry, to work part-time and also teach scripture in the local school or visit the local nursing home during the week. You are free to make radical choices to live anywhere in the world, even if it's not the coolest suburb in Sydney. You can live in the western suburbs of Sydney. You can live in rural New South Wales so that you can serve the community there and be a blessing to the local church. I could tell you about Richard and Cora who moved to um, grads of the EU who who moved to remote New South Wales in order to be teachers. They believed that kids in that town needed to have great teachers and that they could be a great blessing to the church. The church that they went to had about 20 people in it and they were the only ones under the age of 80. And I'm not exaggerating in my normal sense. They were free, though, to make radical choices. You can also choose to serve in parts of the world that can desperately use the skills that you're learning right now, but um, skills that they'll never be able to pay you as much as you could earn here in Sydney. 
I could tell you about Jono, an engineering grad who's working for AusAid in the Philippines at the moment, helping them to rebuild cities after their last horrendous cyclone. There's no way that he's making as much money as he could working in Sydney. But he can make a radical choice because he is safe and free. And it doesn't just start in the future, somewhere down the line. It starts right now. You get to have choices and decisions right now about how you live on campus and how you can live to the glory of Jesus and see others built up in him. It starts right here, right now, in how you choose to study, in how you relate to your classmates, in how you honour your teachers. It can be reflected in your decisions to be part of life on campus, invest in your classmates and get to know them, to hang around a bit longer on, on campus in order to run a small group so that other people can grow up in Jesus, to hang out with non-Christian friends, to take the opportunity to read and cover with one of them, or to befriend an international student in your class and to take them to focus. There's lots of opportunities for radical choice right now. Now, next week, Ben and I are going to think about how we help you make good choices. Unfortunately, there's not a perfect formula that you know, we can write an app for and you can just roll out whenever you need it. But instead, we're going to talk about how you make good decisions with the grain of the universe, wise choices within the plans of God. See, God entrusts us with an incredible freedom. So we need to relax. We need to choose something. And we need to use our lives to do incredible things for God, incredible things that will bring glory to our Lord Jesus. So how about I pray for us? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a sovereign God who doesn't let our world or our lives just spin out of control but keeps our world in control that you work for your purpose and plan to bring all things under the headship of Jesus. We pray that you help us to swim between the flags, to rest and know the freedom that comes in your sovereignty and to be responsible and free to make good decisions, radical decisions, to see the kingdom of God expanded and to bring glory to our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.